Hey everyone, welcome to your Thursday episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist, Adam Roberts. My guest today is an alum of Lunch Therapy, and he's also the food critic for the LA Times, Bill Addison, who recently published his list of the 101 best restaurants in LA. So I decided to invite him on so he could talk to us all about his process, which restaurants he included, which ones he didn't, and so on. And so without further ado, here's my talk with Bill Addison. Well, Bill, it's so nice to not see you because I made you close your window, but um, to talk to you, how's everything going? Good to talk to you again, Adam. Um, yeah, it's a weird time again in the world and uh, yeah. always figuring out how to dance and step, you know? Well, I mean, that's a great transition because um, I'm holding in my hands, you can see it, I'm holding it and my camera, but I have a print version of your 101 best restaurants in LA. And so I want to congratulate you first and foremost on this incredible feat that you pulled off. Can you tell Yay, us a little, a, little, a little bit about it and like, you know, what it is and how long it's been going on and how long you've been doing it? Yeah. So the 101 best restaurants in LA started with uh, my predecessor, the late and very great Jonathan Gold. He started it in the spring of 2013, so um, next year will be the 10th anniversary of it, but it was built on the back of the 99 essential restaurants in Los Angeles that he did for LA Weekly for years and years. I'm not even sure how far that goes back. Um, and it was one of the first, I'm going to say, in, in the country, such lists that showed kind of intellectual and um, gustatorial rigor. And by mm -hmm. gustatorial, I just mean like, it was very clear that this person had eaten not only at all the restaurants, but had eaten at many restaurants like the restaurants he was writing about. So he brought a lot of like context and expertise into the lists that he made. I like that phrase, gustatorial rigor. I feel like I'm I want you to be my personal trainer for gustatorial rigor. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> no, because I mean, it, it, I, I, was, I was actually thinking that when I was reading through this, because I mean, first of all, it's just incredible the detail that you go into with each one and, and also the history of, you know, just the kind of cuisines that you're eating and the cultures and, and the dishes. And I mean, in terms of that rigor, how much do you have to study up before you tackle something like this? Well, this is the third one that I've done. Uh, I did the first two with Patricia Escarcega when she was also at the paper. And it was really nice to have someone else to do this list with and mm -hmm. bounce ideas off with. So it was um, a pretty uh, Herculean and Caligulan task to mm -hmm. um, be <laughs> be eating all this food. You know, I it's it's always you know you know as a food writer, I feel like the number one rule of this job is that you never get to complain, right? So right, <laughs> um, you know, it, it is a lot of work, but you know, I have the privilege of of eating in one of the world's great food cities and eating it at every kind of restaurant that exist here. So I'm never going to complain, but certainly I brought in the three years that I've been here now and months eating, deliberating, thinking, asking 
trusted friends and colleagues for their thoughts and their recommendations. Um, and it was important for me that this project have some other voices than mine mm -hmm. still in it. And so I loved that I was able to ask some writers that I really respect to contribute essays to kind of fill out the list. So it's just a little bit more than a, you know, a big list of restaurants. Well, you have a lunch therapy alum, alum, alumni, alum, uh, Esther <laughs> saying it was on lunch therapy and she wrote a great essay in here. Uh, yes, she did. So um, I, I love her. I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, um, so I guess my, my like first, you know, structural question would be like, do you start by looking at previous lists and like sort of the restaurants that will always or that like remain important to you that are just like historically famous LA restaurants? Or do you just start from scratch and just make a list of the places you think should be on the list? Great question. When I was at Eater for five years as their national critic and the Eater 38 was the tentpole mm -hmm. for all the work that I did, we had an idea there that the list should change substantially, but not totally. Mm -hmm. And I ended up carrying that philosophy over to how I look at the 101, which is to say that, yes, there are going to be restaurants in here that are some pretty famous and expected names. There are also some names that are super famous that aren't on this list because I think that they're so famous mm -hmm. that they don't really need to be on this list. I understand sort of the, the context of wanting to have something in one place that says this is everything great about Los Angeles. So of course mm -hmm. I respect an institution like Spago, but right. you're like, everyone knows about Spago. So make room for names that might not be quite as familiar. So I definitely looked at past lists, uh -huh. um, past versions of this guide, but I also went to every restaurant and then some on this list, particularly because with the 2020 version, totemic restaurants in Los Angeles were left off the list because they they just didn't seem right for that moment in the depth of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And when I was researching this list, it was a time in between surges when we felt good about being inside restaurants again. Right. And so I did eat inside a lot of dining rooms for this list. I returned to places, you know, at the, the tippy top of the food chain, like Providence to experience what was the same, what was different, mm -hmm. how to reconsider it in, in this new light. Um, so I didn't start from scratch, but I started the research from scratch. Yeah, I mean, that, that was my other question I was going to bring up right away, which was the pandemic of it all and how that impacted the list. And I mean, do you feel like if there had been no pandemic, the list would be very different? It's hard to envision an alt universe right, right. now. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I yeah. want to say that it would have been different because I think that so many creative restaurants that I loved that were fairly new got shaved away. I'm thinking mm -hmm. particularly about kind of the the apex of fine dining in 
the city, places like Dialogue and Auburn and Bon Temps. Yes, Bon, bon Temps. I had a gift certificate last year for Christmas. Oh. Craig's parents got us a gift certificate and then it closed. Not to say, not to make it all about me, but I was so sad <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get to eat there. Yeah, it looked fantastic and your review made it so enticing. It ended up being one of my favorite restaurants that opened that year. I guess that was 2019. And I, you know, yeah, it was really heartbreaking to see the way that it changed, you know, that, I mean, that it changed everything, but heartbreaking that particularly young restaurants like that did not have a chance to, to see where they could go. Um, yeah, but I also then wonder about like the other restaurant, you know, so to kind of maybe answer two questions at once. I think of a place like Bridgetown Roti. Um, I'm sorry. That's fine. Hold on. I think, of a, yeah, it is. I'm sorry. I had it right. So many restaurants, Adam. I think of a place <laughs> like Bridgetown Roti, Rashida Holmes, who was working on opening a restaurant, serving um, her, her beautiful very specific food, the goat roti that's amazing. Have you had Bridgetown roti? No, I know. I mean, they're not in my delivery zone, so I need to go order it and pick it up, but I've heard nothing but wonderful things about you it. Should, so. You should go, yes. But she, you know, she's one example of a, of a chef who was very on track to be opening her own place and then had to pivot to being a pop-up because it she didn't feel safe, like, committing to a lease. And mm -hmm. And so there, there's an adjunct list of pop-ups in the 101. Yes, and I saw maybe, that. Yeah. Right, maybe that's cheating, mm -hmm. but I don't care because that's just a way to get more restaurant names in front of readers that are very deserving. And, and restaurant is such an expansive word right now. Yeah. So I don't think that we would have had a list of pop-ups, certainly. And I feel like I'm excited because... I'm paying so much more attention now to the ephemeral spaces that that feed people. And mm -hmm. I really understand that's where so much of the talent rises up in Los Angeles when I think of a of a former generation of chefs like Wes Avila, like Ludo Lefebvre, even, you know, mm -hmm. they were doing kind of pop-ups, street carts um cool things that that just didn't have the permanent brick and mortar until their audience kind of grew in a way that made sense for them to do that so mm -hmm. i love being plugged in to who's making the food that's going to be the next generation of great food in los angeles yeah i mean la feels unique in that way that it allows for that like new york i don't think i guess it, like maybe now like in williamsburg or like outer boroughs people can do pop-up kind of things, but it feels like LA has more space and more, you know, possible locations that people can pop up and sell things. And I guess with Instagram too, that's probably a big part of it. Cause I think Ooh. of a lot of, a lot of your reviews, you actually say like, follow on Instagram for updates or, right? you know, so it's kind yeah. of a cool, cool new way to stay in touch. But I guess the other thing I was thinking about when you were talking was this idea of like food and being divorced from the space and the environment from which like it's normally eaten. Um, because like one of your reviews, you know, that made the list is Chifa in Eagle Rock. Mm -hmm. And yes. I haven't gotten to go there yet, but I love the way you describe the room and you're talking about like the decor and 
how like you, you wrote after a year of gazing into Chifa's empty dining room, like it's an untouchable museum display, usually while picking up takeout or heading to a tented outdoor table behind the building, the restaurant is finally open for a meal inside. And I guess like when, when I was asking you about like how the pandemic changed this list, I would imagine like the spaces themselves or like the experience of going into a restaurant and having a convivial atmosphere, having wonderful service, like is the kind of stuff that, that, goes away when you're just taking food home and eating it out of a carton, right? And and I guess like were the places that weren't open to dine in, were you basically just judging them on the food? Yes, I had to. And it it didn't it didn't come off to me like because I want this to be a living portrait of what it means to eat in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. eating takeout is part of that experience right now. Sure, so sure. even though I love that we can eat and in Shifa right now, and I want to be in a beautiful dining room that feels kind of electric in that way that only kind of a bustling dining room can feel, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to, to you know, it doesn't have to be a, a binary proposition either mm -hmm. or it's it's all of it that's interesting well i had a lot of friends who went to you're going to tell me the name of this restaurant it looks like a spaceship it's very expensive it's a tasting menu um vespertine vespertine i had a lot of friends who got vespertine to go during the pandemic you know they spent a fortune on like these kits or these things where you could put the food together. And I personally had no interest in that because to me that it just felt like I cook at home all the time. So to have to spend this money and then like have to assemble something. But but at the same time, I guess it's a way for restaurants to stay connected to their customers and to still find outlets and ways to support themselves. So it's yeah, it was a fascinating time to see how every every restaurant reacted to all this. Um, and Vespertine yeah. is a great example. Uh, I mean I don't cook as much as you do. I, I cooked a, a lot more last year, honestly, more than I cooked in my 20 years of being a restaurant critic. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was, that had a, a certain beauty to it, even though it was, you know, brought about, of course, in a time of crisis. Right. But I would say that those Vespertine meals actually were really special because they, they were kind of um, autobiographical for Jordan Kahn in a way that, his cooking at Vespertine is absolutely not. Well, is that true? I mean, I, I, he, he wants it to come from nowhere, kind of the, the cooking that he does in, uh -huh. in non-pandemic times in that restaurant. But, you know, I like that he cooked from his Cuban heritage or that he tapped into his Southern upbringing. And I had some, some really wonderful meals, but I also really respect that you know, you're cooking beautiful food at home. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> you right. Are. You're a fantastic cook. So. <laughs> oh my uh, gosh. Uh, well, I'll ask you the same question that I asked. So Tejal Rao's, it's actually kind of perfect because like her episode aired, aired on Monday and yours is airing on Thursday. And both of you moved to LA um, and had to basically take on this big job where you had to sort of cover for Tejal, it was California. And for you, I mean, the city of Los Angeles, like, and I guess my question to you is, how has your view um, of the city changed over the years? And, and what were your impressions at the beginning? And how are those different now? When I was traveling for Eater, mm -hmm. and I did that job for five years 
almost from early 2014 to late 2018. Um, I really believed that Los Angeles was the most exciting place to eat in America. It was the first city that I flew to when I got the job. Um, the editors were generous and let me always make my own agenda. Mm-hmm. And and I, Besha Rodell was still here. And so I mm-hmm. stayed with her and, and ran around kind of experiencing what was really hot then. Tuamek was hot and Alma downtown and Republique had just opened. Oh, right. Alma, yeah. I remember that place. Yeah. yeah. I think Bon Appetit named it the best restaurant in the country at the time, right? I did. I did. Yeah. They did. And, yeah. uh, they did, and it was, uh, I think, pretty stressful in that restaurant, too. I though. think so, too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think I couldn't handle all that. Yeah. Um, um, which is not to, to disrespect the chef, but it was, yeah, that, that kind of spotlight can, can be tricky. Um, so I actually wanted to live here. I wanted to move here. You know, I lived in Atlanta. I was based in Atlanta all those years where I had, I had been before as as food editor and restaurant critic for Atlanta Magazine. Mm-hmm. And because I was traveling so much and Atlanta is such a huge airport hub, it just made sense for me to keep living there. Um, I sold my house near the end of my time at Eater. And for a year, I just lived on the road basically and stayed with friends in Atlanta, New York when I, when I wasn't on the road. But all that to say is I had this great top line understanding of Los Angeles. I had done my hardest, or I had done my best, I should say, to mm-hmm. um, eat through Jonathan Gold's 101 list when I was coming so that I was was getting that feel for what he was eating and loving here and 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 what was making up the fabric of the the culture. So gosh, how is it now that I've been here for three years? I think it just becomes more instinctual at some point, mm-hmm. you know, it, instead of becoming this kind of effort to be like, all right, I'm landing and I've got to understand this place and I've got to do it justice. And I've got to understand like what makes the, the Mexican food culture here, the, the most important in the United States. And, um, and how do I like grasp like what goes on with sushi here? And wow, I can't believe how good the Thai restaurants are. And mm-hmm. how are the restaurants evolving to kind of have this California cuisine ethos? And what does that even mean anymore? And now I have that all so literally under my belt that, mm-hmm. that I can kind of go with my gut feelings more about this stuff. Yeah. I mean, you talk about your gustatorial rigor. I mean, you do, you've done so much homework about every, I mean, and I feel like you, you had the, the, a, a reason to do that homework because you were taking on this job where it was like, you were going to be the authority, um, you know, in Los Angeles's hometown paper about the restaurants here. So I feel like you did the work that you needed to do to do that and feel good about it. Um, but the other one, one question that just occurred to me as you were talking is this whole, you know, there's the pandemic that happened. And then there was, of course, like Black Lives Matter and and um, this sort of reckoning that happened in the food world and sort of people of color sort of speaking out and, and, and about their, you know, uh, things that happened in the workplace. But it seems also like we're shining a light now on, on restaurants um, and, and chefs who normally don't get a chance in the spotlight. And I'm curious how that impacted your approach to this year's one-on-one list. The great 
thing about inheriting this particular list is that in a lot of ways, the foundation for that thinking was already in place. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why everyone loved Jonathan Gold, because he didn't just highlight the splashy, fine dining, one percent restaurants in Los Angeles. He was going into the immigrant communities and eating at the restaurants that really cook for the people of those communities and neighborhoods. So I think for me, it just prompted me to think even harder about it. Mm-hmm. And maybe again, to think about the restaurants that innately get a lot of attention from the sort of machine that exists that's going to take a while to shift or not, if not disassemble altogether, the kind of like the media darlings and the PR machine. And so there are places that are like, you know, you, they just rush to them already. I'm going to, I'm going to give one example and I'm not you know, I'm excited to eat here, but Mother Wolf, Evan Funky's new restaurant, like my partner is like, uh, what's happening with this restaurant? Like, mm. I'm seeing it all over my social media feed. And I'm like, yeah, dude, it's been open a week. And like, <laughs> and Katy Perry's eating there, right? So <laughs> really? like, that's like, funny. yeah, like, so that's an example of like a restaurant, of course, I'm going to review that restaurant. But it's just it's just built in to have that kind of buzz. So mm-hmm. I ask myself, like, what are the restaurants that are really excellent and just don't get the deserved spotlight? And how can mm-hmm. I shine that spot spotlight on them? And obviously, you know, I I think that we should have more critics at the Los Angeles Times and in Los Angeles. At, um, in general, I don't love being the only person who has this job right now, this is an enormous city. You know, New York, kind of being the center of media culture in America, still has a lot of critics covering things. And and a city like this needs a lot of perspectives. So mm-hmm. I'm 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 glad for you know publications like Eater LA that blur the lines. They have that dining on a dime series that that Bill Esparza and Joshua Laurie contribute to. And those are reviews without really calling themselves reviews. And, mm-hmm. you know, we just we just need more spotlights on, yeah. on the wealth of restaurants here. So yeah, I'm I that's one answer, Adam. The other answer is like, you know, I think about that. I think about what happened last summer every single day. And I am always asking myself, how can I do better? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I mean, your point about Jonathan Gold's legacy is really interesting because it makes me think that Los Angeles was way ahead um, of the curve, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, in terms of, of not, not sell it, not making it all about those 1% restaurants and not, you know, it really felt like New York when I lived there, you know, I remember like being like a grad student and reading like the New York times and reading about a new restaurant that opened and be like, I can't go there. You know, like I think <laughs> yeah. it sounded like Babo. Like I was like, I want to go to Babo. And I would look at the the prices, but like, Oh, I won't be going there anytime soon. But like, I feel like LA, I mean, John, when I moved to LA for a summer, when I got a job, I bought Jonathan Gold's counterintelligence, sure. uh, which is book of, and yeah. And, and it felt, and it did feel exciting. It was like, Oh, I'm going to drive into the middle of like some part of downtown LA I've never been to before to eat this thing that I've never heard of before. You know, So yeah, I think that he, 
I think that that's really part of what makes LA so cool is that it's never been about the audience here isn't just um it's not a monolith there's like all different kinds of audiences and all different kinds of eaters and all it's just so many different cultures all intertwined and i think that's what you it's reflected really well in your list so um it was it was a tough question but thank you for tackling that with me <laughs> uh, so now i'm going to ask you the sort of like the like okay bill like you're the food critic for the la times i'm coming to la so okay like what's the what are the restaurants you know whether they're on this list or not that if 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 somebody wrote you an email or a friend texted you like i'm coming to la like where should i eat what would you say yeah i feel like if you asked me this question tomorrow i would have a different answer you know like it's mm -hmm. just it it what it's what pops out so um i think it's almost a cliche but the first place that i would send anyone that, that that I go myself sometimes after I've been traveling. Is, Can I guess? Can I guess? Yes. Is it Republic? That would be my second one. Oh, okay. You know what? So let's just go there because I do. No, no, no. What were you going to say? What, 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 I was no, going to say uh, Morisco Salisco. I've never is, been. I've never been. Oh. I know. Those, I need to go there. Yeah. Let's go together, man. Okay. I will take you. The Tacos Dorados de Camarón, the, the, the fried shrimp tacos, like that is maybe the essential plate of food in Los Angeles. Really? Oh God. Now I feel really bad that I've never had it. And crispy and served from a truck on Olympic Boulevard. And it's just, it's everything that you want in a bite of Los Angeles food. But where do you sit? That's my issue. I like to sit when I eat. Okay. There is a little <laughs> dining room right off the, where the truck is parked just really, I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now I'm definitely well, going to go. Okay. Yeah. I'm convinced. I mean, it's sort of a, it's a, it's a very, you know, it's not a, a sumptuously decorated room, but there <laughs> That's is fine. a room with <laughs> yeah. tables and chairs. And uh, yeah, I mean, I usually just sit outside, but I hear you. We will, we will go um, and eat inside and have tacos and um, some ceviche as well. And yeah. did you just, for people who don't, aren't familiar, you might've just said it, but what, and what is the dish there that everyone gets? Yes. It's uh, the tacos dorados de Camarón, the fried shrimp tacos. They, it's a very short list. So you're going to know what to order when you okay. walk up. You could literally it. walk up and be like, hi, what's the thing everyone orders here? <laughs> I'll like be nice and tell you. And it comes with like salsa over top and slices of guacamole and it's like hot and cold and crisp and creamy and mm. my god it's so good all right i'm definitely gonna go eat that okay so number two was gonna be republic or did Absolutely. i influ influence you no, no you didn't influence me it's pretty well known like i love that restaurant it's the perfect all-day restaurant the pastries mm -hmm. there are some of the best not just in the city or southern california but in, in America, I, I don't feel authority about a lot, but I am a pastry, I was a pastry cook once upon a time in my life and I ate at a lot of bakeries during my eater years and these are some of the best. So you need now to- I'm gonna push now. back, I'm gonna challenge yeah. you on this because okay. I love I love Republic and I would say it's also one of my favorite restaurants, but I do question whether it's a, like a intrinsically like, LA restaurant like is it a is it the kind of restaurant that you could only experience in LA and I don't know if the answer to that is yes I feel like it's just a one of those excellent incredible restaurants but it could potentially exist 
in Portland or it could exist in New York, but it just happens to exist here. What do you think Gosh, of that? I don't necessarily agree with you. Oh, I, agree, okay. yeah. <laughs> I agree that sure, like great pastries can exist um, everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, so I'll give you that, but do they have, are they the great pastries that have like that superb, superb fruit from farmlands like okay. right around here? Fair enough. Um, I love the breakfast and lunch menu. I love the way that it reflects Los Angeles diversity. There are um, pupusas, and kimchi fried rice. That's at and lunch. I've only been for dinner. So, okay. Uh -huh, okay. okay. So maybe for lunch, got it. But I think their dinner menu is pretty like classic, like, you know, bistro or not bistro. Would you say it's yes. a bistro? Yeah. Uh, bistro. I would, I mean, yeah, maybe not super. I just think of it as like good California French influence cooking. And, and I will give you that, um, that it could exist anywhere in California, maybe. I mean, mm -hmm. again, these ingredients like uh, are very of our place in a lot of sense. I feel like it it revolves with the seasons pretty deeply. And so I wouldn't just call it like a French American restaurant. I would right. call it a French Californian restaurant. Okay. And married to like the goodness of those sense of place pastries and the the breadth of the lunch menu yeah i stand by my love and actually you know one thing i'll put in your court is the the space itself was charlie chaplin's old studio right or office i think that I, there are a lot of myths around that building. Oh, really? like apparently he had it built for his child bride and of course it was previously the home to campanile nancy mm -hmm. and silverton and mark peels like defining Los Angeles restaurants. So certainly, you know, it it has a huge sense of history and it's beautiful that Margarita Mansky has a pastry and bread program, well, mostly pastry, pastry program that, you know, is the modern equivalent to what Nancy Silverton was doing. So that bread though, that baguette with butter or oh, the dripping. Oh, it's so good. I mean, I yeah. could literally just go there and eat that and I could be happy. It's with the pan drippings. Yeah. yeah. And the great butter. Yes. Well, so in terms good. of a space, like, you know, talking about that Charlie Chaplin myth, like it feels like a historic Los Angeles building, regardless of like why it was built or what it was. But the uh, one place that's not on your list, but that I might send people to would be Musso and Frank's. Um, because yeah. it also feels like a classic LA restaurant with like the old Hollywood, you know, yeah. heritage to it. Patricia and I did this like hall of fame list the first time we did a 101. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's maybe we should be like republishing that every year, but mm -hmm. Spago was on that and Musso was and Frank was on that. Like, of oh, course. Sorry, I Winston doesn't agree with you. He's barking. <laughs> yeah. But sorry. Ugh, yeah. a martini at the bar at Musso and Frank. Mm-hmm. God. Yeah. So what are the ones on this list that you were most excited to feature this year? I mean, the ones that were new to you and hadn't been heralded in this way. Um, you know what, before I answer that question, can I just throw out a few more places? Please. Oh, yeah, yeah, I interrupted your flow. Absolutely. No, 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 it's okay. I just want to say a couple other things because I do feel like it's such a big question, but um, I feel like dim sum is such a part of visiting Los Angeles mm -hmm. if you're coming here. I love Lunasia. It is totally up for debate, but Lunasia is an excellent place to start. The excellence of our Thai 
cooking Thai restaurants here is always, I think, a surprise to people who aren't really entrenched here. So I would send you to Northern Thai Food Club for um, the like amazing Northern Thai stews. And you have a conversation with the owner as she's like stirring things mm. on the, the steam table. It's wonderful. A burrito at Sonora Town, a carne asada burrito, burrito, not just for the like the innards, which are delicious, but for that like amazing tortilla made with Sonoran flour. And then, you know, you probably need to go to one of the restaurants that really feels like super Southern Californian, like Birdie G's or AOC or Rustic Canyon or Jelena. That's just mm-hmm. like cooks the like cooks super seasonal, always changing kind of foods. Yeah, Thank you for listening to me. <laughs> no, no, that's right. Jelena, I, I haven't been to Jelena in forever because, you know, and I, when I first moved to LA, I would drive to Venice Beach and I would drive. Now I don't go there ever. Like, it just yeah. feels, there's, unless there's a really good reason. But Jelena always felt to me like the most California y, like LA restaurant at the time. I, I saw celebrities there and the, they would have those pizzas and you sit outside oh. and there's palm trees and you could smell the ocean. Like, I think that's a pretty great one. And it's interesting because I had been, I, we, I, I'd taken it off the list. We had taken it off the list for a couple of years. And when I went back, I was like, okay, this is exceptionally good right now. Why? And then I found out that the group chef for um, Jelena and Justa, uh, Pedro Aquino, who is from Oaxaca and was running one of their restaurants called Valle, they had a landlord dispute and they close by it. And so he's actually at Jelena right now. And so mm-hmm. it's super extra good. You should go back. I just opened the thing. I didn't, I didn't even notice that it was in there. Yeah, that's great. So it's it's one of the 101 again. Yeah. It's fun kind of to, to take things off when it feels appropriate, but then also not just lose sight of them, you know, and then, yeah. and then bring them back if it feels appropriate. Well, I noticed that like, um, Am I wrong in thinking that the Mozza Plex was once one of the 101? Yes. But now it's just Osteria Mozza? And and Kiesbaka around. And Kiesbaka, yeah. That's my favorite LA restaurant. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so good to know. I mean, that is a very, I mean, Nancy Silverton, you know, yeah. Chad Colby, who's at Antico Nuovo now, but who. Oh, right. That's who that is. I need to go there. I heard that. So good. Oh, wow. You haven't been yet? No, I, I, no, I did go there right before the pandemic. Yeah, and okay. it was great. Yeah, you um, should go back. It's in really good shape right now. Um, so, okay, so now the places that you were most excited to feature that were new to you on the list. Okay. Um, Amatole in Long Beach. It is one of my goals this year to be eating more in Long Beach. But when uh, I ate at this restaurant, I, I just took a brief glance I wanted to go try a restaurant that was a little more sit downy in Long Beach. Um, Dina Habibe is the chef owner, and she kind of brings all of her heritage into this restaurant Jordanian, Palestinian, Syrian. And she makes some dishes that I love from this part of the world, which is my, my, uh, my, my personal interest, the the stuff that I research the most, um, mostly because I have such um, close friends from Lebanon mm-hmm. and have had ties to Lebanese people literally my entire life, including um, the the 
doctor who brought me into the world was Lebanese. Oh, wow. Brother of my parents' best friend. So anyway, yeah, it's kind of a lifelong thing. But um, if you go there, you should order the frike, which is uh, this grain that has a faint bit of smokiness um, with roast chicken. It's truly delicious there. And on weekends, she does Jordanian national dish. It's called mansaf, and it's uh, lamb cooked in like goat's milk yogurt and then mm. served over rice that is in itself served over like crackery bread with like almonds scattered over it. It's so delicious. You I love textures because you had something in here from like the San Gabriel Valley, like a Vietnamese restaurant that had like a dumpling. Yes. Like a fried dough. And I was like, oh my God, the textures there sound crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I do love textures. And I feel like that's part of the the frontier of dining, right? I think is, as you know, I don't know. I think textures are as important as flavors. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, and I think, you know, uh, to speak generally like um, white American sensibilities, like the sensibilities that I as a white American grew up with in the, the edge of the South, you know, was, was, uh, a little monotonous the, the right. flavor might have you know changed around but i think that that so many cuisines around the world focus as much on texture as they do on flavor and i mm-hmm. love that speaking of texture um there is a food truck that my colleague jen harris um homed in on that i loved called los dorados um okay. and it's flautas the the thin um tortillas, almost like tacos that are uh, rolled with fillings and deep fried and then like covered in um, mole or mm, other sauces and kind of sprinkled with queso fresco and super delicious. And then Uh, is that a truck or is that a restaurant? It is a truck, yes. So that's one that you have to follow on Instagram to find out where they are. I was really taken with Needle in Silver Lake. Have you been there yet? No, I mean, I have driven <laughs> past it a million times and I, and I never quite understood what was going on there. But now I think I get it that at night you go there and you eat dinner. Yes. And, and part of the reason, I mean, that's that's a fair observation because they opened only months before the pandemic. And so they have sh- had to shift who they were so many times, but they've settled on this really cool tasting menu that that um that brings in the essence of like street food so in some cases you're literally sitting on like on the sidewalk on a counter but it's it's mainly focused on like skewers like chicken Mm -hmm. thighs and pork meatballs and Mm -hmm. beautifully sauced and and the chef ryan wong is over there like grilling like mad and and it's a great experience. I yeah, love it. I mean, it looks really cool. So I will definitely check that out. Yeah. Um, so, are there any others you want to you want to mention? I this was this was more in the new to me category, but um, Ms. Lala in Sherman Oaks, um, an Israeli restaurant. Do you know that place? Have you been there? No, I'm embarrassed at how many places I haven't been to. <laughs> but because also, there was like there was a home cook. I know, but and, it's also there was a global pandemic. I mean, yes. we weren't going anywhere for like. <laughs> like six months for a period. So yeah. Um, What I love about that restaurant in the Sherman Oaks location only, they have one in West Adams as well, but they focus on um, Moroccan dishes, which I feel like we just don't get enough of Mm -hmm. in this, um, in this 
in Los Angeles. And so I love that he makes really delicious tagines, like a lamb tagine that's almost like mm. syrupy with apricots and a and a beef one that almost kind of channels like boeuf bourguignon with red yeah. wine. Yeah, it's really good. I would also throw out one more in the sushi category, which is sushi kaneyoshi. Um, it's in the basement of a little Tokyo building. I know, and we can talk about, I also like, I'm super obsessed with Morihiro. Which I just um, went to. Yes, so we'll talk about that in a minute, but I will just say that <laughs> Kaneyoshi is like hidden in the basement of this little Tokyo building. And I was blown away by what the chef is doing. It's very traditional, very omakase. There's no choices. You pay a pretty penny. This is definitely a special occasion experience. I think it's 250 to $300 a person before alcohol, you know, one seating a night. And it's just you and the two chefs, um, like, and, and an evening of like amazing flavors wow. and beautiful fish. Yeah. Just, incredible. I love that it's hidden away too. That feels very Los Angeles that it's like, you have to find it. Exactly. Um, but yeah, Mori Hero. I mean, we went to Tokyo right before the pandemic and oh, I will great. say, that the meal we had at Morihiro on this past Friday night was the best sushi meal of my life, I think, because it was oh, just so- love hearing that. Yeah, yeah, it was just so beautifully made and like all the dishes he makes himself and there was just something so personal and playful and he was there and he was like laughing and like talking to everybody. I don't know, there was just something about it that was not pretentious, but it was so, so delicious and so thoughtful and, and just and the, the, like the- I don't even know what the word is for like the little dishes that they served at the beginning, like a cube of like a tomato and like aspic basically. Or yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was just all these gorgeous things. So yeah, that was that was my favorite. Um, so I yeah, oh, go ahead. Readers, just a quick listener, sorry, listeners, a a quick um, background on this restaurant that we're both raving about. Um, Morihiro Onadira has been in Los Angeles since 1986. And wow. one of kind of the seminal sushi restaurants called Mori in West LA, um, beloved for generations, you know, reviewed by Ruth Reichel, I think back in the day, like- Wow, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so it was just, he, he hasn't owned a restaurant for a while. He makes his own ceramics and was selling those to other restaurants. He invested in a rice farm in Uruguay because the, the rice is such an intricate part of sushi and he especially pays such gorgeous attention mm -hmm. to it. So to have a, his own place again in, in a kind of an unexpected place like Atwater Village and it's small and so it feels so convivial at night, it's just like full circle and beautiful and, and he is somebody to cherish. Absolutely. And yeah, I'm so proud that I live in Outwater Village now because it's in my little <laughs> in my little village. All right, I have two more questions for you. You're being so generous with your time. I hope you don't Good. mind. I hope I'm not like talking too much. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, okay, so I'm going to challenge you again. And uh, we're we're going to get into fisticuffs, but... Um, okay. Good Lord, here we go. How... Okay, how do I phrase this? So the, your restaurant of the year, the LA Times restaurant of the year is Fenekite. Is that correct? Yes. But they don't take reservations. Like, like literally every time I go on their website, it's like we are no longer accepting reservations. So how can that be your restaurant of the year? That's my challenge to you. Okay, so <laughs> we gave them that title like back in April or May. Uh -huh. I think, and they were taking res reservations back in April and May. And I think... Um, honestly, that 
once again, <laughs> a lot of attention on a single business. Uh, um, so it's your fault. You did this to me. I did this to you. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, that um, or the name of my publication, really. <laughs> I mean, right. I like, <laughs> right. Um, broke the, broke the circuitry. So um, I think that, that the chef owner Min Fan is, is fairly public about the fact that she is, right now conceiving Fenekite 2.0. And so I will say, Adam, um, since we're we're friends as well as podcast mates that I will take you to Fenekite 2.0. Oh my God, wow. I am so glad I invited you on today. That's so nice, thank you. Yeah, I'm dying to go. I mean, everything I've been reading about it and everything I've seen and your article about it um, just makes it sound incredible. So it is. Uh, and like nothing, like no other food that you've ever had. It's, it's hard to put a label on it. It's, mm-hmm. it's lardon stuffed mochi and black sesame vichyssoise and, <laughs> and abalone porridge. And it all sounds a little, you know, out there and then you taste it and it's, so good and it feels like nourishing and mm. mint fan is such an incredible beautiful presence and it's just a really special you know entity that is a work in progress so i love that it, it yeah. felt it felt it felt appropriate you know to to give the restaurant that award in the moment that we were in and i mm-hmm. I hear that it's frustrating that you can't get in right now. And no, I was just teasing you. I, I, I'm, glad. <laughs> I'm glad for her. Well, my last question is also provocative. You might not want to answer it, but this is my final question. Oh, good so these were, okay. these were the 101 best restaurants in LA. So what was 102? Yeah, I hate this question. <laughs> I never want it to be like, so I'm going to like, I'm going to give like, an, you know, an obnoxious, um, answer back in a way that um, because I feel like um, these people will never um, hear that they were perhaps 102, but oh, it no. is. I feel bad for them already. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, I, they were on previously. Um, it's a Sri Lankan restaurant called Apikade in Tarzana. And okay. it's hard to find Sri Lankan food period in the Los Angeles metropolitan area. It's hard to find excellent Sri Lankan um, food. And I was drinking tea as I like doing in the San Gabriel Valley with my tea dealer woman before the pandemic. And I happened to be sharing. Does she have a beeper? Does, do you like, does she carry it on your tea dealer? Sorry. Anyway, yes, she going. does. Yeah. No, <laughs> pretty much how it works. Um, so the, the, I was, I was drinking with the guy from Sri Lanka. And so when I asked him if he eats out anywhere, he was like, Apekari, that's it. That's the only good one in all of Los Angeles. And the, the cool thing that I would suggest for people to get is this uh, dish called lump. It's it's kind of, it's spelled L-A-M-P-R-A-I-S, but it's pronounced like lump rice. And it's, mm. um, it's a meal of like different curries and rice cooked in coconut milk and like chutneys and sambals all wrapped into a banana leaf package. So when you go to pick it up, it's, it's already sealed up in this package and it's such good takeout, which is also 
good for this moment that we're in again with the variant, the Omicron variant, um, to timestamp this podcast. And, <laughs> um, and so you kind of open it and it's this like steamy, fragrant, gorgeous meal right in front of you that that stays hot all the way home. Well, you just did them a solid. I think that, you know, there's nothing obnoxious about that. That was very nice. Well, but then I felt bad that I didn't put them on in the first place. So, well, not yeah. everybody can be on the list. You know, it's like when you're in fourth I... grade and everybody, you want, every, you know, not everyone gets an award in the <laughs> drama club or whatever. Well, Bill, this was so generous of you to take the time to talk about the 101. And um, I am actually going to, I want to like make it a point to like check off as many of these places as I can this year. So, Thank I'm you. not as um, embarrassed I, next time we talk. <laughs> I will put in a quick plug. Um, and, and I'll be honest, like the, the online version is great and useful, particularly live in Los Angeles and it has a map and, and it's, it, it has its own, you know, purposes. But when I got my own print copy that, that you are holding in your yeah, hand, I have I felt, it. I love it. It's one I felt really proud. Like it's yeah. a, the designers did such beautiful work and, and it's a real team effort to put this thing together. And so you can get it on the LA Times store. It's 12 bucks there. I've put in that plug. It's totally worth it. Cause also just, it's a good reminder that this list is here. And you know, if I have it on my coffee table, so it's like, oh yeah, I have to go to Marisco's Jalisco. Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah you did, yes. Okay, that's on my list. Where should I go tonight? I almost want to go to Northern Thai Club tonight. Yeah, that okay. sounds good, do it. All right, I'm going to do it. Bill, thank you so much and congratulations yeah. again. And I'm excited to go with you to Fenikite. I'm, I'm going to hold you to it. <laughs> I know you are. So, perfect. Okay. All right. Take care, Bill. Thank you again. You okay. Bye bye. -bye.